There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Chroniclers of folly, both traditional and iconoclastic, agree on the momentousness of the fool's appearance in Europe, on the cusp between collapsing medieval values and an emergent Renaissance ethos. As a spokesperson and an icon of the new age identified with its defining philosophical movement, humanism. From Natural Fools and the Historiography of Renaissance Folly. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 128, and it's about court fools during the Tudor and early Stuart period. And before we get started, I want to remind you about TudorCon, and specifically the TudorCon digital ticket. We're about two months away from the world's first ever TudorCon. I am so excited. I cannot wait to hang out with you and 120 or so of our new best friends in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. It's going to be a gorgeous weekend in October. I hope. I can't guarantee the weather, but I suspect. We're going to get together to have three days of learning from Tudor experts. We're going to see a musical, hang out, and dance to period music, have a feast, go to the Renaissance Fair. It's just going to be a Tudorific weekend. So you go to englandcast.com slash TudorCon2019 for more information. But if you can't come in person, we have a digital ticket available. And for those of you who listen to the show right when it comes out, yay for you. We we have this special. If you order your digital ticket by the end of August 15th, I'll leave it till the early morning hours of August 16th. You'll receive the same swag bag as the in-person ticket holders. And I have to order the swag. So that's why I have this deadline on it, right? So englandcast.com slash TudorCon2019. And this is kind of my last note. I've been sending out all kinds of emails about it and Facebook posts and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So again, if you order by say early August 16th, you'll get the same swag bag as the in-person ticket holders, the TudorCon swag bag, all the stuff that's in it. It'll be like being there in person, but not. So again, englandcast.com slash TudorCon2019. So now I want to talk about fools, specifically Tudor fools. Most people who have um, a cursory knowledge of Tudor history have heard of Will Summers, right? He was Henry VIII's fool. You might have even heard of Mary Tudor's fool, Jane. They were both in a very famous portrait of Henry VIII with Jane Seymour and his children, you could see Will Summers and Jane in the background. And I link to that. Actually, if you go to englandcast.com slash fools, 
we have all the show notes. So most people have heard of Jane or Will Summers, but what role did fools play in court life? Let's discuss. Since the medieval period, courts had jesters, and it was their job to amuse the king, and they could claim a certain amount of freedom to speak with the king as an equal. Erasmus wrote, I speak, says he, as a fool, knowing it to be the peculiar privilege of fools to speak the truth without giving offense. Henry VII had several people who were called naturals or innocents. Now, these are people that we would call intellectually challenged, had some specific disabilities. They would go with him on progresses. The king paid for them to be clothed and fed, and they were cared for by a keeper, the full master. This sounds horribly inhumane to us right now. Even saying it is hard for me to say. But you have to remember that values were different. And for a lot of people, they would have seen this as an opportunity for their child, who was maybe a little bit more challenged, to be able to still have a role to play and not be put in bedlam or something like that. So we have to listen to keeping that in mind, right? So there were actually two kinds of fools. There were the naturals or innocents, people, like I said, who were maybe a little bit more challenged. And then there were unnatural ones. And they were more the jesters, the kind of comedians that we think of. So there were these two types of fools and the distinction was made whether they were natural or not. So Cardinal Woolsey had a fool. His fool was called Patch. He was a natural fool. He became involved in Woolsey's disagreement with Henry VIII over Catherine of Aragon's marriage. So Woolsey was on his way to Westminster from Putney in 1529, and he ran into Sir Henry Norris. Henry Norris was the groom of the stool then. Henry Norris wanted to reassure the cardinal that the king still supported him. Of course, this was not not to last very long. But for the moment, Woolsey was so relieved that he actually was looking around for a gift that he could give in return. And he saw his full patch, and he said that patch was actually worth about a hundred pounds. And he said he would give them to Henry as a gift in gratitude for still being on Henry's good side. But patch didn't want to go. And it's a really tragic portrait to imagine in your head. It actually took six men to tie him up so that they could take him back to Henry's house. Patch was the first fool to have been listed as being of the privy chamber. He received a royal livery coat. It had the king's monogram on it. And then in October of 1532, he went along to the meeting with the French king in France. This is the very famous meeting where Anne Boleyn went around. This is the very famous meeting where Anne Boleyn went along and sort of held a a pseudo court as the stand-in queen. And this is also the famous time when Henry and Anne likely consummated their relationship. So fools could even go along on foreign policy trips. Patch stayed with Henry until the summer of 1535. There was actually a lot of drama around what happened and why he had to leave. So Eustace Shapwee, the imperial ambassador, wrote in a letter, he, Henry, the other day nearly murdered his own fool, a simple and innocent man, innocent being used in the term of challenged, um, having some disabilities. So he nearly murdered his own fool, a simple and innocent man, because he happened to speak well in his presence of the Queen Catherine of Aragon. And he called the concubine Anne Boleyn, ribald and her daughter Elizabeth a bastard. He has now been banished from court. So this illustrates sort of the strange position that fools had at court too. They were seen as property and could be bought and sold. And since they were property, you could also hit a fool. Patch once said that Henry could kill him only with his countenance. Henry also kicked him after something that Patch had written and disagreed with Henry. Henry also hit his fool Will Summers more than once. Will is actually recorded as saying, he gave me such a box on the ear that strike me clear through three chambers 
down four pairs of stairs. I fell over five barrels in the bottom of the cellar. And if I had not well liquored myself there, I had never lived after it. That's quite a beating. Patch was actually at court at the same time as Will Summers, who is likely the most famous fool in history. Like I said, he appears in portraits of Henry and his family, as well as in the frontispiece of Henry's own personal Psalter. Again, check out englandcast.com fools for these paintings and for the examples. So Will was actually not a natural or innocent fool. He was an artificial fool. He was born in Shropshire. He was noticed by a man called Richard Fermor who brought him to court to present him to Henry VIII in 1525. The king immediately liked Will and he hired him for the post of court jester. And Will held that post for the rest of Henry's reign. Sometimes he was the court jester. He was mostly Henry's personal entertainer, someone that Henry could talk with openly, could get Henry out of his moods and depression. It was said later that when Henry was suffering from the almost constant pain of his jousting injury, that Will Summers was actually the only person who could cheer Henry up. His relationship was so close that, quote, he could have admittance unto his majesty's chamber and have his ear when a great nobleman, nay, a privy counselor could not be suffered to speak with him. Will Summers would speak truth to power he actually made a joke about Henry's habit of acquiring wives. He said, His majesty, after some discourse, growing into some good liking of him, said, Fellow, wilt thou be my fool? Who answered him again that he had rather be his own father still than the king, asking him why? He told him again that his father had got him a fool for himself, having but one wife, and nobody could justly claim him from him. Now you have had so many wives and still living in hope to have more. Why? of some of them, cannot you get a fool as he did? And so shall you be sure to have a fool of your own. Will and Patch may have had a bit of a rivalry going on too. At one point, Will said that the Cardinal's fool must always give way to the King's fool. Will also was able to use his influence to help his family. He had an uncle who had suffered from the land enclosures of common land. This is something we've talked about a lot when we talk about the economy of Tudor England and the land enclosures also with rebellion. Cat's Rebellion was related to land enclosures. So he had an uncle who had become impoverished after an enclosure of this common land space and he was able to use his influence to help him. So these fools were really powerful people. Will Summers was a really powerful man. Will Summers survived Henry VIII and continued his career during the reign of Mary I and also even into Elizabeth I. He was still court jester to Mary I. He was mainly brought out for ceremonial events, but he is also reported to have been the only man who could make Mary laugh. His very last public performance was at the coronation of Elizabeth I, and he retired after that. There is a William Summers whose death was recorded on June the 5th, 1560, and that is probably our dear Will Summers. So how did a monarch find his fool? Well, noblemen might keep an eye out for funny people or naturals or innocents, similar to the Richard Fermor who brought Will Summers to court. And there's a letter dated 26th of January, 1535-36. Of course, the new year wasn't until March, so... It's 26th of January, 1535-36, to Thomas Cromwell, and it recommends a possible replacement for the king's old jester. Ye know the king's grace hath one old fool, sexton as good as might be, which, because of his age, is not like to continue. I have spied one young fool at Crowland, which is, in mine opinion, shall be much more pleasant than ever sexton was, and he is not past... 15 years old. So that was a recommendation that somebody put forward that they had spied this fool. So that might be one way that a fool was brought into court. 
Another fool for Elizabeth I that we'll talk about in a little bit was Richard Tarleton. He was the jester to Elizabeth. Thomas Fuller's History of the Worthies of England, which was published in 1662, gives the history of how he was recruited. Here he was in the field keeping his father's swine when a servant of Robert Earl of Leicester was so highly pleased with his happy, unhappy answers that he brought him to court where he became the most famous jester to Queen Elizabeth. So basically, he, they were just discovered. Anne Boleyn herself kept a fool, an unnamed woman. She bought her a new new gown and green satin cap in 1536. So there were multiple fools at court. It's not just one. Sometimes I imagine, you know, just a, a big hallway or a, a big hall with a feast going on and just one fool. That's not how it was. There were multiple fools. Mary Tudor also had her fool Jane that we talked about. Jane was considered a natural fool, and she arrived at court during Anne Boleyn's time. She wound up serving Mary by 1537 and becoming known as her fool. So most people assume that Jane was mentally challenged or disabled. In part, that's because it seems as if her head was potentially kept shaved. If you look at that portrait of her of from the family of Henry VIII, it looks like she doesn't have any hair. And that's often what they would do to innocence. But there's really not a lot of proof other than that portrait. Some people also say that maybe she was married to Will Summers. But again, the only evidence of that is that painting where they're both in it. But Again, they're both fools, so that would make sense. Also, in that painting, she looks a little bit lost, like she's not really sure where she's going. So people have taken that to mean that she was probably a natural fool. Either way, Mary took really good care of her. She paid for eye exams for her and an eye condition that she had. They also gave her lots of clothing, uh, beautiful gowns and horses and shoes. Of course, some of this was kind of part of the act. One time she was given clothes to match uh, a woman called Lucretia the Tumbler, who was also at court. So it probably would have been part of the act to have those clothes. But still, she was taken care of materially. And again, it's hard for us to listen to that, but that's a lot more than an average person could expect could expect at that time. And most families would have been very happy for their child to have had that opportunity. Even before she went to marry Jane, so was still hired by Catherine Parr too in the 1540s. So fools could travel around from person to person. They also would keep dwarves as curiosity. Again, this sounds horrible to us now. I really even have a hard time saying it. But again, remember that this is the time when anything that was different was seen as foreign and was put on display and people wanted to look at it and try and understand it and work out why it was different. This is the era of bringing Native Americans to court for people to gawk at as well. Elizabeth I kept one woman, Thomasina. She brought her many gifts, including gowns and gloves and ivory combs and gilt rings. So it doesn't seem like there was much in the, in the way of malice with this. It was just a, a genuine curiosity and trying to understand it. And certainly they would have made fun of these people. I'm not trying to sugarcoat that, but it seems as if it comes from a place more of curiosity than of trying to be just downright mean. In addition to these natural fools and the dwarves, the Tudors also had magicians and jesters at their court. Men and sometimes women would play being a fool just to entertain the king or queen. In the 1520s and 30s, Henry VIII's account books list the king's juggler, Thomas Brandon. So he was the kind of person that we would consider a magician over a juggler. One of his best tricks, his most famous tricks, was to paint a picture of a dove on the wall. Then he would point to a real pigeon who was sitting on the roof. He would flick the picture of the dove with his knife and the pigeon would fall from the roof 
totally did. I have no idea how he would have done that, but that's a pretty amazing trick. So I talked before about Richard Tarleton and how he was discovered in the field taking care of his father's swine, how he is actually the most significant of these sorts of jester people. He was the first of the jesters not to be permanently resident in court, but he also had a career on stage as one of the Queen's players. We actually just did a Tudor Minute about him a couple of weeks ago. It was his birthday, and I talked a little bit about him in that Tudor Minute. He remained high in royal favor he had regular access to Elizabeth throughout his whole life. And they say that when the queen was, quote, serious and out of good humor, he could go undumpish to her at his pleasure. Her highest favorites would, in some cases, go to Tarleton before going to the queen, and he was their usher to prepare their advantageous accents to her. That's from Thomas Fuller's History of the Worthies of England again. Fuller also says he told the queen more of her faults than most of her chaplains and cured her melancholy better than all of her physicians. One of the things he would do to cure her melancholy is that he would pretend to do battle with her dog and he would wave around his staff so much that one time she actually ordered him out because he made her laugh too hard. So that was Elizabeth. Now, James I, of course, was known for being puritanical, especially when it came to women, consider his witch hunts and obsession with women behaving properly. But as in so many things with cases like this, it only applied to women and not necessarily to men. There's the example of George Goring, a gentleman of the Privy Chamber who was known as having a peculiar jocularity of humor. Seems that he and his friend John Finnett, who was master of the ceremonies in the 1620s, were often involved in antics at court and considered the king's fools. According to the court and character of James I, written in 1650, Finnett, Goring, and the courtier Sir Edward Zouche were the king's chief and master fools. Zouche's job was to sing inappropriate songs and to tell stories. Finnett would compose the songs, and then there would also be a group of musicians who came to court specifically for this foolery, and Goring was the master of the musicians. They would organize dances. They also would ride around on each other's backs, imitating the joust. There was a lot of buffoonery going around, it seems. James I did have an official jester, and that was Archibald Armstrong. He would also play with Finnett and Goring and the others. Now, he has an interesting story. He had actually been condemned to death for stealing sheep, and he pleaded for his life with the king. He knew how to get the king. He said that he wanted to read the Bible, which he had recently come across because he wanted his soul to be in good care before he died. So would James please put off the hanging until he had finished the Bible? The king agreed, and to that, Archibald Armstrong responds, then the devil take me if I ever read a word of it as long as my eyes are open. This made James laugh so hard that he hired him on the spot and brought him to England in 1603 when he inherited the English throne. Archibald became known for telling the truth to power in a way that only fools could. James once complained that his mount was on the lean side. Archibald responded that the best way to fatten him up was to make him a bishop. Archibald also played the fool, but he knew how to make influential friends and to make money even in unscrupulous ways. His friend John Taylor, a poet, dedicated a 1621 book to the bright-eyed, dazzling mirror of mirth and regent of ridiculous confabulations, wishing him a nimble tongue to make other men's money run into your purse and quick heels to outrun the hue and cry. And Archibald stayed court jester even under Charles I. So he had a very long career. He even was part of the small party that went along with Prince Charles on a secret mission to Spain to negotiate marriage with the Infanta Maria in 1623. Apparently, Armstrong had super exclusive access. He gained entry into the world of the Infanta much more quickly than even the royal suitor. He pleased the Spanish king with his wit. And one report said that our cousin Archie hath more privilege than any, for he often goes with his fool's coat 
where the Infanta is with her ladies of honor and keeps a blowing and blustering among them and blurts out what he list. It was that confidence in being able to speak truth to power that actually eventually brought him down. In 1638, there were tensions leading up to the Civil War. He met the Archbishop of Canterbury at Whitehall, that was William Laud, on his way to the King's Council meeting. There were protests in Scotland at the time. Laud was trying to make the worship services uniform between England and Scotland, and the people in Scotland didn't like that. And so Armstrong mentioned this, and he said, who's the fool now? Ha ha ha. Laud complained to the king, and Charles immediately ordered his fool to be fired and banished. So he was just the second to last royal fool, and he was followed by his replacement, a man called Muckle John, of whom very little is known. So there we go, walking through the fools, the famous fools of Tudor and early Stuart England. So that's it for this week. There are so many great book recommendations, including Fuller's History of the Worthies of England, 1662. There's a lot of really great academic books. You can see a list of all the different sources and things that I used at englandcast.com slash fools. And that's where all the paintings are and the show notes and the rough transcript, everything like that for this episode. Remember to get your TudorCon ticket or your digital ticket in the next like 24 hours or so, englandcast.com slash TudorCon 2019 for that. And you can get in touch with me through the listener support line. You can text me at 8016-TESCO or through Twitter at Tesco or Facebook.com slash EnglandCast. I'm super excited to be back with you in another two weeks. I have another interview with one of the TudorCon speakers, and she's going to talk about the relationships of Elizabeth I. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's really interesting. I can't wait to share that with you. So again, englandcast.com slash TudorCon 2019 for TudorCon tickets, englandcast.com slash fools for the show notes for this episode. I hope you're having a wonderful August. I will be back with you in about two more weeks. Bye-bye. Blow northern wind, ascend for maybe sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoor te boord in bouwrebriek, dat soli semli is ons ziek.